you're inside the Taylor Tilton Hour. Be sure to check out our podcast, The Taylor Tilton Show, streaming live every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Central on YouTube and Facebook with replays on Spotify and Google. Then enjoy The Taylor Tilton Hour on Comcast channels throughout the Southeast. For more information about the host of the show, visit ChristyTaylorConsulting.com. Welcome to a new edition of the Christy Taylor Show. I'm your host, Christy Taylor. Super excited to have you here on today. And for those who are new to the show, you're also inside the Taylor Tilton Hour. We are in several markets throughout the Southeast region. Learn more about me at ChristyTaylorConsultant.com, where you can also check out replays of the show on our YouTube channel, Christy Taylor Online. Now for today, I want to make sure I get straight into it. This is going to be a very interesting conversation on today. I have the pleasure of talking to Freeway Rick Ross. Now, Ricky Danielle Freeway Rick Ross, born January the 26th, 1960, is an American author and convicted drug trafficker, best known for the drug empire he established in Los Angeles, California in the early to mid-1990s that turned out to be directly connected to the Iran-Contra scandal. Now, after a stint in prison, his reconnection with a friend-turned-government-informant led to Freeway Rick Ross being sentenced to his life in prison, though the sentence was shortened on appeal and Ross was released in 2009. Over the past several years, this author-turned-prison reform activist has ventured into the cannabis and boxing industries with the intent to rebuild his empire. I want you all to help me welcome to the Christy Taylor Show, the one, the only... Freeway. <laughs> hey, hey, what's up, Christy? Oh, my goodness. First of all, I wanted to say it's an honor having you on this show. Of course, you are world famous. And as you, I've had the joy of meeting you a couple of weeks ago, and uh, you yes. obliged me to have you as a guest. So thank you very much. And of course, you know, for those who may not, you know, because honestly, I had to do a little bit more research. I've heard of you. I've seen, you know, your, you know, connections, just bits and pieces. But there's a lot to who you are beyond just the infamous moniker of Freeway Rick Ross. Can we roll it back to who you were growing up, some of your ambitions prior to the drug trade? Well, you know, when I grew up in South Central L.A. and um, I guess my life really is 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 kind of like an American story. You know, I've touched so many different sectors in in in, uh, in America. You know, from a lot of the things that's wrong with America to uh, a lot of the things that we need to get together to get right. Uh, but I grew up in South Central Los Angeles. Um, at one time, I wanted to be a, a gang member. I wanted to be a Crip. You know, I remember when I first saw the Crips, and it was to me the most exciting thing I'd ever saw before in my life. Uh, Twenty or thirty black men hanging out together, uh, wearing the same colors. It was like almost like a team, you know. So here I was, you know, ten, eleven years old. I thought it was the coolest shit in the world. Excuse my French, uh, but. But before I, I was old enough to, to actually join the gang, uh, I found out about tennis and I started playing tennis at about 12 years old and, and got to be pretty good. Played all the way up into high school, 
could have got a scholarship, but uh, my my reading ability wasn't there, uh, so I couldn't go to college. And after that, I found myself back in South Central LA, uh, hanging out with the guys who wasn't as fortunate as I was to start playing tennis. Well, they they were turned actually game members. Uh, and these are the guys that I started back hanging out with. And, and that brings me to another project that I'm working on right now. Three of my friends that I, I went to elementary school with and junior high school with uh, recently got out of prison. One did 45 years and one did 39, I think, and one did like 35 or 36 years. Mm-hmm. So these guys have been gone all their life. They missed all their 20s, all their 30s and 40s and, and 50s. And 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 now they're just out and, and seeing them readjust to society. I, I did a lot of time myself. I did 20 years, but right. it, it was a little easier for me because, you know, when I went, I was 28 years old. So I had established myself as an adult a little right. longer than they had. And watching them readjust to society is, is really interesting, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it gave me the idea of doing a documentary called The Evolution of Crippen. Wow. Uh, I'm, I'm working on that right now. Um, wow. And it's, it's going to be. You know, I'm, I'm just listening to your story. And I had, speaking about documentary, I had the opportunity to check out um, the documentary that's on, that's, that is out, you know, Cracking the System. Oh, you well, saw Cracking the System? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Very well done. Well, Very well done. Well, and even though, even though I didn't get any credits for it, I wrote that while I was in prison. Um, that that really was sixty five to seventy percent of that was my work. Um, uh, it was it was eventually taken from me and and, and all the credits and everything. The, the networks didn't want. I don't know. It, it's something about our society right now that we're so stuck on uh, not not giving certain people credits mm-hmm. uh, uh, that they didn't want to do the documentary if it was known that I had wrote the documentary and, and that I had helped produce the documentary. They, they felt that it would be a turnoff to people uh, as if I couldn't tell my story truly, you know, like I, I, I don't have to lie to nobody. You know yeah. what I'm saying? You don't pay my rent. You don't feed my kids. So, so, so I don't have to lie to you, you know, and, but the networks was just so stronghold on not, uh, having me as part of the, they wanted me to be the actor. Correct. Right. They wanted you to be me. the central figure because the way they crafted the story and the way the story was crafted was, of course, that you were at the centerpiece of what turned out to be really an international governmental um, scandal and yes. that reached around the globe but was centered in South Central. Now, of course, for those who know me, I do have, you know, as a screenwriter and a storyteller and a poet, you know, I understand how in the crafting the story and even the mechanics, because I think they gave it to, they gave the main credit to what, Mark Levine, is that correct? Yeah, and he did nothing on the piece but put up <laughs> $60,000, that's all he did. You know, so as an executive director and, you know, those who, as you know, the money game, um, they wanted to have that. But I, I, what I found interesting about the story overall is that when you talk about, first of all, you're from Texas and then you were you know, a transplant into the South Central area with your mom and your brother, that really there's a part in that story, in that documentary, where you said that 
Arthur Ashe was, was, was of course, at that time, one of the largest tennis players in the world. And the he, largest. The, the largest. largest. Yeah. The, yeah. The, correct. Thank you. The largest <laughs> tennis player in the world in the in the 70s and 80s. And that was inspiration for you, as well as some of your friends who had started playing tennis and was starting going back to that, having the uniforms and having that sense of uniformity and brotherhood like the Crips. But what I found, honestly, being a person who was, um, my mom put books in our hands early on and when we lived in DC, um, the, the fact that illiteracy really changed the course of your life and you speak to it in the documentary that when you went to go to college and your friend conveys that it was the issue of filling out the application. I found that to be jarring but I understand that that is oftentimes um, one of the realities that happen in our communities that those who are incarcerated or those who lead a life have had educational issues. Was it something that, um, was it, what caused that in your life? Well, well, and, and since you mentioned that the incarceration, you know, 65% of the guys in prison can't read. And then I would say another 15 or 20% can't comprehend what they read. So. We're talking about a problem that definitely uh, needs to be addressed. Uh, I don't know what I don't know. In my situation, I really don't know what happened. You know, uh, when when I look at it, I say, you know, was it that the school didn't get through to me, or that my mom didn't get through to me, or did I just not want the information? You know, any one of those could have been the factor. You know, mm-hmm. but we, we know that in South Central L.A., you get subprime teachers. Okay. You know, we don't get the best teachers. We don't necessarily have teachers that really want to see kids win. Uh, a lot of times they come here because they need a paycheck. You know, uh, they got to pay their rent. They got to pay their car notes uh, or so forth. So so it's definitely a difference than somebody who really wants to see you win mm-hmm. trying to teach you. You know, it's, it's, it's a different uh, 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 thing. And then and with my mom, she probably wanted me to win, but did she know how right. to show me how to win? Mm-hmm. You know, all of those are, are factors that, mm-hmm. that, that we have to deal with when when, when we're looking at this situation. Uh, you know, I'm, you know I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, Ricky, about your mom wanting you to win, because I did love her role in the documentary that I saw. Of course, I do understand. For those who are, be sure to go to his website, free. Um, uh, Freeway Ricky Ross. Freeway. I, I, it's a tongue twister. Uh, go to his <laughs> website and be sure to check out all the things he's doing, everything from the documentary to the books that you have author, authored to the industries that you are entering, entering into. Um, but specifically because it was a visual medium and I do love film and documentaries, I loved how throughout the entire documentary, I saw your mother's heart. Up until the very end, I saw her heart and I'm like, I see that woman every day, you know, living in black America, growing up, you know, in, 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 the, in as they said, the ghettos of America or the, or the country, the backwoods of America. You see black women wanting their children to win, even against the odds, even against the odds that they know exist. Um, and I, I just want to touch on this before we move forward, because my mother, her father was a functioning illiterate. Um, but of course, he came from a generation or two before, and they were oftentimes um, tied to, to to sharecropping as their way of making 
a means for their children. So there's always been that story of how the power of education, because that you speak to it once you go to prison around 28 and you begin to self-educate. Can we jump to that? And then I want to get into what you're doing now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I'm sitting in prison and uh, guys explained to me that the only way, uh, well, first thing they said, they tell me is, is something to this effect. Um, why am I putting all my faith into this attorney that I had, you know, and, and I tried to explain to him that I paid the guy a lot of money and the guy liked me, you know, and the guy had to explain to me, he said, well, does this guy have other clients? And I said, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And he said, you think he puts you in front of all of his clients? Wow. And I said, it's possible. Mm. He said, okay, is he married? Mm. I said, yeah. He said, do you think he puts you in front of his wife? And I said, I doubt it. Mm-hmm. He said, does he have kids? And I said, yeah. He said, do you think he puts you in front of his kids? And I said, no. He said, well, you shouldn't expect anybody to want you out of prison better than you want yourself out of prison. You know, I love that. that, I love that. That's when I started to read. You know, one of the things, too, I mean, of course, I've had a chance to check out some of your other interviews and be sure you all there is a treasure trove of interviews and articles and about this amazing person. And I call you amazing because even though you're infamous in one regard and we're, and I'm looking at you have your uh, freeway uh, keys to success and that's a book in and of itself, <laughs> how you have actually done. And, and one of the um, I think one of the subjects in the documentary said something that I feel is true for a lot of people who get into um, what we consider nefarious activities is that you were not so much a um, a, a person that was trying to take over what he said, a capitalist opportunist, which is the American dream, which is what America is built on. How do you capitalize on opportunities? And one of the things when you realize that you couldn't go to school to pursue your tennis, you capitalize on the opportunity of the fact that the drugs were available, that people were looking for that escape and you enterprise them to the point that we're almost over a half, um, well, almost toward the billion dollar mark, the way you created an infrastructure. But isn't that the same thing we see in any industry of how do you mass produce, mass distribute to the consumer? And yes. that's something that oftentimes, uh, and I, I, growing up, you know, there's so many different stories I could tell, but growing up, I think that that's what we miss out on is that the fact that you were enterprising and you were capitalizing on an opportunity and then the government aided and abetted <laughs> you yes. with the supply to create a demand, create a demand and then meet the demand. And then, and then, I mean, you could even go further than that, right? If you start uh, looking at the big picture, the whole picture, you know, mm-hmm. that, that was a movie that came out in the early 70s called Superfly. And in this movie, we see a black man who does something that I never saw a black man do before. He beat the cops. And, you know, growing up here in South Central L.A., you know, I've been made to sit on the ground, you know, lay down on your stomach. Right. Uh, by the cops. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, nothing like what they're doing today. I mean, we thought we had it bad. Nothing right. like what we see a guy jump out the car and 
unarmed and and get shot 60 something times we're not right. talking about that bad but yeah. we're, we're talking about humiliated you know uh they don't care what you're wearing you know you could have on your brand new clothes and they still make you lay down on the ground on your stomach and i've been treated like that before so i i had created a little thing about the cops from an early age and when my cousin takes me to see this movie superfly and i see this guy stare down and, and beat down the cops, I fell in love with him. You know, it's interesting that you bring that movie up because a lot of people were inspired by what we call the, the era of the black exploitation, where even in the most uh, degraded areas of our community, we found a way to win. And I want to kind of flip, use it as a flip because we're constantly as human beings, as God creation, finding ways to win. And oftentimes our way to win starts with our mind. And I want to get to those keys to success because you used it on both sides of the track. First of all, where did you come into the the, the philosophy of positive thinking? And let me also interject this for those who are watching and for those who are going to watch the documentary, get the books, all that nature, go to his website. You'll also find out that you were not so much anti-violence due to some tragedy growing up, but you definitely did not include that into your um, drug empire, um, but you used more marketing strategies. Can we talk about the the mindset you had that was like, I don't need the violence, but the marketing and the positive mindset? Well, you know, I saw my mom kill my uncle. I was standing on her side when she did it. Uh, uh, it, was, it was tragic for me because my uncle had become almost like a father figure. Me and my mom was living with with him when we moved to California. Uh, so to be there and, and have him taken out of my life was, was really tragic for me at a, at a very young age. So uh, I understood at a young age that once somebody died, they would never come back. And uh, when, when I started selling drugs, one of my first commitments to myself was that I would never hurt anybody unless it was in self-defense. Mm -hmm. So uh, I made that part of my, uh, what do they call it when the corporations do they little, they little, thing that they live mission by statement. yeah <laughs> your mission was, statement i guess that you was a mission, part of my statement. mission statement yeah, yeah i didn't know i didn't know what a mission statement was at that time but <laughs> I, I definitely knew that that i didn't want to hurt anybody and i didn't want to see anybody get hurt so i now, made that part of my part of my mission mission statement you know i i don't want to for people who may be you know on all different sides of what happened over the last 30 50 years when it came to the fact that the crack cocaine epidemic did decimate the black community um and you were a part of that or if not at the forefront or the vanguard of that across the country um but at the same token you have also because of your life experience become more so as you said learning how to read and understanding how to please your own case and, and reaching to get an appeal because i mean i i have to applaud you that not only did you learn how to read and comprehend you learn how to read and comprehend legal documents <laughs> <That a lot> <laughs> <laughs> yes you know that's that's a lot. the average person language. with a high school and college degree cannot read and comprehend legal documents but you you were able to do it to the degree that you were able to have your life sentence reduced to 20 years and post your release in 2009 can you kind of give me an idea of what you've been doing for the last decade well when 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 i was in prison i was preparing to get out you know uh, did you get to read the la magazine article they did on me i have i'm gonna read that yes sir 
my obituary. They called it LA Magazine did what they call writing my obituary. And in that article, um, I kind of laid out to him what I was going to be doing. You know, uh, I told him that I'll be doing mixtapes, that I was going to do a book, a documentary, a movie, boxing. And, uh, you know, it, it's kind of like a prophecy, but it, it also, now that I look back at it, it was my business plan. It was me uh, uh, laying out, even though I didn't have it wrote down because, you know, I, I still wasn't somebody who really likes to write. Uh, but what I did is I put my business plan in my head and I, I cemented it there. So mm -hmm. whenever anybody would ask me, I could always tell them the things that, that I would be doing. So um, I've been out now 14 years almost. Um, I put out mixtapes, you know, with, with some guys that, that, that even made it famous, you know. Uh, uh, Freddie Gibbs, mm -hmm. you know, was on some of those mixtapes. Uh, Jay Worthy. Uh, this other guy, too, I can't think of his name. One of the big R&B singers right now that uh, uh, from Canada. Uh, I can't think of his name, but he, he's big right now. Not as big as Chris Brown, but in that same league. Okay. Uh, I put out a, a, a few T-shirt lines. I have one T-shirt that they're bootlegging all over the Internet. The Real Rick <laughs> Ross is not. The real Rick Ross is not a rapper. It's, yeah. It's, oh, it's been, that's it's a been, whole storyline right there. <laughs> okay. Just, just, just Google that, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, the real Rick Ross versus the Rick Ross rapper. I just, just that's a storyline to itself. Okay, but beyond the clothing line, the mixtapes, um, you have also uh, ventured into a lot of other amazing industries. Yeah. Well, we have we have a, we have a movie that that we're doing. Uh, we have a script. This it's been written by about eight different guys from Hollywood. Everybody from Nick Cassavetti, who was an award winner, director, to uh, the Hughes brothers, John Singleton, wow, uh, Reginald Hutman. They've all uh, touched it. They all touched it. The late George Jackson touched yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, it's been some amazing people to, to actually, uh, don't let me forget my man Kush, who's one of the guys took the, the last swipe at it. Uh, great writer from, mm -hmm. from Detroit. I love Kush. Um, you know, most people don't understand that filmmaking is a process and there have been movies that have been on the desk or the laptop for 10 years, as I call marinating. Uh, so yes. we know that even with all the things that you're doing, you know, post prison is adding to the, I guess, the. the yes. The, yes. yes. It mm -hmm. makes it, it makes it bigger. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, when I look at it and I say, well, when you got into the cannabis business, that's going to make the movie even bigger. <laughs> yeah. I got into boxing. I said, oh, boxing is going to make it even bigger. <laughs> you know, so it's like how they're responding, man. I was I was getting off a plane the other day and I ran into a young brother who teaches at Harvard University. And he said that he teaches his class on me and that I motivated him so much. Uh, but there's so many young brothers who, who are learning. One guy came up and told me that I make smart look cool. <laughs> uh, that's good. That's good. Make smart look told cool. Me, he told me one day I ran to this kid. He said, oh, I know your secret to your success. And I said, what is it? He said, oh, you collect people. Oh! <laughs> so he's read the book. Speaking of the book, uh, these young people are, are loving. Um, you You have the... Of course, the documentary. My, auto, my autobiography. My autobiography is is 
you know, selling it like crazy. It ain't where where, it went, so where I know it's going to go. Because yeah. I believe everybody in this country is going to read my book one time. So yeah. I might yeah. wind up selling 300 million books one, yeah. one day. Uh, but but uh, I wrote that book when I was in prison with a life sentence. And, and I didn't, I, I mean, even though I felt I was going to get out, but there's days that you, you like wonder, like, would I ever go home? Would I ever be a free man again? Uh, because you understand that you're up against one of the most powerful nations in, in the world. You know, when you go to court, it says United States government versus Ricky Ross. Mm -hmm. So that ain't no that ain't no light statement to be going up against the United States government as Russia. <laughs> and they ain't even got the whole United States yet. Yeah. So so I wrote that book because mm -hmm. I knew that I may not ever get to see some of these young kids mm -hmm. that that needed to learn what I had learned through my trials and tribulations. So uh that's how that book came about yeah i know recently you had a chance to go to essence and you were selling your book and you were making you know essence being very women-centric why do you want to make sure that women who are let's just say middle upper class middle um mothers and and, and probably professionals read your book well women didn't know about women didn't really know about me because my, my my stuff is more of a, a, a macho man type of thing you know like mm -hmm the guys, yeah. you know, with the money and the power, you know, that, that has everything. Those are kind of like the guys who really like support my movement. Yeah. So with women, you know, women are more like, not all, but, you know, stay at home, you know, watch TV type of, type of thing. So uh, I felt that they need to understand uh, um, the economics of, 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 um of society you know what it is what it takes to be uh just as powerful as as your man you know why should your man be the one bringing in all the money when you have the capability of of doing the same thing so i think i thought it was very wow. important that um uh, that i reach out to them and that, that they find out because yeah. you know there was some strong women in the drug business as well it wasn't just <laughs> all true. men you know, that's I, true. I, that's I, true. I knew some women that uh, refused to let the men outdo them. Understood. You know, there's so much to your life and so many amazing things that I know you have going on, both, you know, inside the industry and also, as you say, as a as an author and mm -hmm. as a speaker in the giving back. Um, but for those who want to get to know more about you, where can we learn about Freeway Ricky Ross? Well, you can go to, to some of our websites. The main one is probably freewayrickyross.com. Uh, you can get my books there. Uh, you can get the T-shirts and, and you know other things that I'm doing. Also, uh, you can go to the Millionaire Millionaires Club. Uh, but there's so many interesting articles that's been written about me. Uh, like I said, uh, I was a feature story in Esquire magazine uh, when when they were writing the story. Uh, you know, it was a debate at the, at the office about uh, should they give Obama the cover of the 80th anniversary or would it be politically correct to put me on the cover? Wow. Uh, eventually, Obama and, and about 15 others wind up getting the cover. Uh, but, you know, I make a joke in these colleges when I go speak. They gave Obama and them the cover, but they gave me the magazine. So, ah! Ooh, okay. <laughs> so I, settled, I settled. You know what I'm saying? I was good with that. Uh, <laughs> you know, speaking of the book, for those... You can actually 
Yes, that's the book. Go to Amazon, go to your favorite digital platform, go to your favorite bookstore, get the book. I got to get a copy now. I understand that there is also an audio version. So I think that's the route I'm going to take because, oh my God, what an amazing person. You know, and my book is going to be an NFT, really, uh, because oh, I'm going to have a hundred book party. And the only way they'll be able to get in to party is is with a book signed and autographed by me. So if you go to Amazon and buy it, I won't autograph it for you. <laughs> but if you want the signature, ladies and gentlemen, he's letting you know. Go you to my website. Just go to his website. If you want to be in the in the inner circle, go and that, to the and website. that party, that party is gonna be off the chain. Because you know, I'm I'm a, I'm about to be a billionaire. Well, congratulations. I know you've been grinding. And I I don't know what I'm gonna do with all that money. Well, that's, I got some projects for you to invest in. <laughs> I got some projects for you to invest in. I have a, non, a 501c3 nonprofit. Anything that has to do with art, culture, and making the world a better place. Um, there's a lot of great things in our communities that definitely would need your support. And, of course, your wisdom, your insight, um, your life lessons. We need all that you are. We really appreciate you for the journey that you've been on and, and, and the wisdom that you're now you know, sharing with the world. Thank you. You're very welcome. Well, thank you all so much for hanging out with us today. We are definitely excited to have this gentleman with us. We are moving into a new phase of living and we just celebrate all that is who he is. And thank you all so much for watching the Christy Taylor Show.